Recorded live. We want to welcome you to the worship services of the Homerville Church of Christ. We're going to get started in about 15 minutes. If you're listening to this in the archives, then you can fast forward a little bit. But we're going to be continuing with our gospel meeting this evening with Andrew Crow, the preacher of the City Boulevard Church of Christ in Waycross, Georgia. This morning, Andrew wasn't able to be with us because he has been under the weather, but he is doing a bit better this evening, and we hope and pray he'll be doing, uh, continuing to improve as the week progresses. We're glad to have him here with us, and we hope that if you have the opportunity during the week, Monday through Thursday at 7.30 p.m., come visit with us and worship with us, and we'd love to have you as as our guest. And if you have any questions about what you hear, then we'll be glad to answer those. If you will uh, leave a message in the chat box on the TalkShoe page, or you can leave us a message on Facebook. Either way, we'll do what we can to get you a Bible answer for your Bible question as quickly as possible. Thank you for stopping in, and we will be with you in just a minute.
Good evening. It's time for us to get started, and it's good to see each of you back. And I'm glad to have uh, with Andrew Crow with us this evening. And sorry that he uh, was not feeling well this morning and last night. So uh, hopefully, uh, this sinus problem he's got is going to be over with, and uh, his health will be restored back to him and be with us for the rest of the week. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing him. This being the first day of our gospel meeting, and appreciate the other Andrew filling in this morning and done an excellent job. So, uh, well, Andrew, we're praying for you. We hope things will be better. <clears throat> um, as I just said, this is our gospel meeting week, and I hope everybody's inviting people to come. It's always our goal to try to get people in the community to invite visitors to come, so let's do our part, and I'm sure that some of the churches will be coming to support us, but we want to, we'd like to get some visitors in here. <clears throat> Remember those that are on our prayer list, uh, we have several that's battling cancer, Gary Reynolds, Linda Ball, Martha Chancey. Mel Adams, Beverly Broom, and G. Hudson. And we want a member of the uh, Carl Sandlin family. Uh, his wife, uh, Peggy, passed away uh, from Lake City, so let's keep the Sandlin family in our prayers also. <clears throat> Do have some anniversaries and birthdays this month. Uh, Tony and Elizabeth has a anniversary on the 14th. I got a birthday on the 20th. Raynette the 26th. Uh, Andrew and Ada a anniversary on the 28th. The big person. Don't like my 49 years catching up. <laughs> uh, and uh, with Andrew Muir on the 30th. So. Just be thankful you're still having them. The order of the service tonight, um, <clears throat> leading singing, will be Mitchell, Lord's Supper, uh, Brother Andrew Muir, uh, First Prayer, Brother Brian, Closing Prayer, Brother Andrew Nelson. I got all three of the Andrews in here tonight. And uh, as I said, Brother Andrew Crow will be uh, speaking to us tonight. We look forward to hearing his sermon. Uh, first, I will say we have 
so thankful for it. We're so thankful for what was done for us on the cross. Pray that may I always be mindful of it. We also pray that we might be courageous enough and have the zeal to share that good news with those that are around about us. So thankful for this week that it's just started. We're so thankful for the opportunity that it's that it started. We pray that your richest blessings upon Brother Crow and we pray that his health may, may be good, that he may bring those blessings to us. Lord, we also pray that you be with him and to be to do the work in Raycroft and pray that that work may continue to grow further. Lord, will be with us as we receive these things. Pray that you might listen to them, look at them intently, apply those things to our lives. We also pray that as we reach out to the community, we pray that we might have great success, that your word may go forth. Once again, we're reminded for all those who have asked in our prayers, and though we have many that are suffering from cancer at this time, we pray that you be with each one of them, that there those things may be done for them, that they may be. We're also mindful of Brother Carl Sandlin, we pray that you be with him and his family, and our that they may be comforted. We may be also a constitution. We're so thankful for the patient of each year and the patient of being to be with us. And Lord, once again, we're so thankful for your son and the blessings that flow from his blood.
saw Mitchell fiddling with the clock a minute ago, and I couldn't help but remember uh, a joke. A uh, a father for a uh, a man ended up having a child and had been a long time out of services, and he made the decision. You know, I've got this child. I really need to start taking uh, my fa- uh, my the fact that I'm a father seriously. The fact that I need to bring this child up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, I, I need to be serious about this. And so he brought his son to services, and it was the first time this child had ever been. And so the child looks to his dad and says, I've got a lot of questions about where we are. Where are we? He goes, we're at church right now. Well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to, we're going to worship God. Okay. And so the song leader gets up, and he says, Dad, who's that? Well, that's the song leader. What's he going to do? Well, he's going to lead us in uh, in some songs of praise to God during this time. And he goes, okay. And then someone gets up to lead the prayer, and he goes, well, Dad, who's that? Well, that person is going to direct our minds in prayer towards God at this time, so we need to be real quiet. Oh, okay. A little bit later, the preacher stands up, and, Dad, who's that? Well, that's the preacher. He's going to teach us a lesson about God's Word and to help us come to a better understanding of the lives that we ought to live in faithfulness to him. Okay. And then the son sees the preacher take his watch off and set it down on the pulpit and says, Dad, what does that mean? He said, absolutely nothing at all. (laughs) So I think I heard Mitchell say something about holding the clock up, but uh, can if you want to. Uh as you all know, right now I'm attending, uh, or I'm uh, taking online courses through Ambridge University right now. I'm getting a, a bachelor's degree in uh, human development, and Lord willing, I'll be getting a master's degree in uh, professional counseling. And it's interesting to me that as I go through these courses, you know, one of the things that's prevalent as I study through uh, psychology and I study through Uh, human growth and things of that nature is just how prevalent atheism and things of that nature, how prevalent all that is in the material. Now, this is a Christian school I'm going to, and the teachers let me know ahead of time, hey, we don't agree with the things that are in this book. In fact, oftentimes within the study material, they will refute uh, what's in these books, but we we have to go through these to understand, hey, this is what the world teaches about these things. But... Despite the fact that I've been bombarded with a lot of atheism, a lot about evolution and things of that nature throughout these books, would you believe that my faith as a Christian has actually grown through studying these things? And one of the reasons why is as I study more uh, about uh, these little areas, I start realizing, hey, this is in the Bible. You know, these individuals are going to try to uh, play as if they're the ones who discovered it and They've made this great find about human emotions or about our mood and things of that nature, but it's always been in the Bible all along. And it strikes me as interesting to find that even as you go through the Holy Scriptures, you'll find examples of individuals who suffer mentally from certain mental illnesses. In fact, I want you to go ahead and find in your Bibles at this time 1 Kings chapter 19, if you will. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to study a little bit about uh, a biblical example of clinical depression. Because depression is something that is very prevalent within our society today. Uh, If you want to know how prevalent it is, uh, depression is one of the uh, biggest mental illnesses in the world right now. 
it is one of the most debilitating uh, mental illnesses that's around. Um, millions suffer from it at the moment, and it just seems that as years go by, more and more people constantly suffer uh, from depression. But when we go to the pages of the Bible, we find certain examples of individuals who may have suffered from instances where uh, they were depressed or something of that nature. And it may have lasted a short time, but when we go to 1 Kings chapter 19, we see one of the biggest examples uh, that we find in the Scripture. Now, the first thing that I want to do is I want to take a quick look at the individual whom we're going to be studying this evening. We're going to be looking at Elijah, but just to kind of give us a background of the things uh, that lead up to this point, you know, the first time we read of Elijah is in 1 Kings chapter 17. We really don't know anything about his parents, and the Jews seem to think that he was a, um, a, a Levite. Um, but a few things have happened up to the point of our study. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we read about a drought within the land. We read of the prophets being hidden by Obadiah. Uh, verses 7 through 16, we notice that a, uh, Elijah asked to meet with Ahab. And in 17 through 20 of uh, chapter 18, Elijah has a challenge uh, for these prophets of Baal to meet him at Mount Carmel. Well, in verses 21 through 24, we notice the challenge that's given. He said, look, uh, you guys are going to have a bullock. I'm going to have my own bullock. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to call upon our gods to uh, devour these bullocks. And, you know, whoever is able to receive an answer from this god, that's the one we need to follow. Well, in verses 25 through 29 of chapter 18, we notice the prophets of Baal are doing their best uh, trying to get their god to listen. They start cutting themselves with lances because... When you look at paganism, God flow, I mean, uh, blood flows from man to God in paganism, but in Christianity, the blood flows from God to man. But uh, verse 24, we notice, uh, or not verse 24, uh, as we go through this, we notice one of the biggest examples of uh, sarcasm in the Old Testament. Uh, verse 27, you know, Elijah, you know, he sees them trying their best to get their God to answer them, and he says, well, why don't you just cry aloud? You know, uh, talk louder. You know, Baal, he's your God, right? You know, he might be talking with another God at the moment, and so he can't hear you because this other God's talking to him. Or, or maybe right now he's, he's off on a journey. Maybe he's asleep at this moment. Cry louder. You know, just you know, scream louder. See if he hears you. Of course, Baal never answers. But then, uh, once there's no answer, Elijah uh, calls the people near to him. Uh, he repairs the altar of the Lord that was broken down, and uh, he makes a few requests concerning his bullock. He has a trench uh, dug around the bullock, and then after he's dug that trench, he has them soak the bullock with water just to the point where the trench is filled with water. And we notice a prayer that Elijah gives to God. Uh, uh, verse 36 uh, Elijah said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things of thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And you know what happens? Fire comes down from the heavens and destroys the bullock, and, uh, or eats up the bullock, and uh, burns up all the uh, water that's even within the trench. And so the individuals that are there, they come to realize, hey, uh, this is the true God. And we read that the prophets of Baal are killed, 
And then in verses 41 through 46, we notice that rain uh, returns. And so at this moment, you can say that Elijah's up in the mountain, so to speak. He, he, he's at a, you know, the very zenith as far as his attitude can be. He's won this great victory for God, but we're going to notice in the next chapter that things are going to change drastically. Um, in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 19, we notice that Jezebel is not really happy. Verses 1 and 2, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods uh, do so to me. And more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And so Ahab goes to his wife and says, Look, uh, prophets of Baal have been killed. Uh, this is what happened out on Mount Carmel. And she literally says, if you're not dead by this time tomorrow, I hope my God killed me. She goes, you're going to die soon, talking about Elijah. And so what did Elijah do? Verse 3 tells us that he runs. In verse 3 we read, and when he saw that, that is Elijah, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And let's be honest, or... or I won't speak for all of you, but if I was in that position, I might have done the exact same thing, just out of fear, just fleeing as Elijah did. You know, we, we never know exactly what we're going to do until we're put in that position, but he does the only thing he thinks that he can do. He, he, he flees off. He, he leaves. He leaves his uh, servant behind him. And then in verse 4, he comes to rest himself under the juniper tree. And what we want to do this evening is we want to take a look here in 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want us to notice a few things. First of all, I want us to notice the symptoms that Elijah faces. Because as you look at Elijah, his actions, and you know certain things that he does, he has the symptoms that an individual would face when they suffer from depression. But I also want us to notice, not only do we find the symptoms here, we notice God's treatment when Elijah faces these issues. So I want us to notice that here this evening. Now the first thing I want us to notice as we look at these symptoms is that Elijah faces a loss of interest in activities and hobbies. Uh, notice verse 3 again with me, if you will. In verse 3 we read, And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. You know, at this point we may have, you know, we may ask ourselves, why? You know, what does this have to do with him having a loss of interest? Well, the symptom that's described here is the fact that our hobbies and activities seem more of a burden for us than something that we used to enjoy. On top of not wanting to do anything, guess what that individual longs for? Solitude. What does Elijah do? He goes off into the wilderness. He leaves his servant behind and journeys even further, so he's completely and utterly by himself. Not only does he want to be alone, but I will admit, not only did he do it for that reason, but he's also showing some consideration there. Because had he had his servant with him and he were caught by uh, Jezebel and her, uh, her troop, you know what would have happened to him and his servant? Probably both would have died. But he wants to spend this time by himself. He wants complete solitude. But we also notice that there are thoughts of death and or suicide, suicide attempts. Verse 4, notice what he says. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under 
uh, sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough. Oh, now, Lord, take away my life, for I am not better uh, than my father's. Uh, we notice, you know, he sits under a juniper tree. That's kind of known as the uh, broom tree. It would have provided Elijah ample protection from the sun. But he says, it is enough. You can almost see a man who's at the very end of his rope at this moment. It's enough. God, I've endured enough of this. God, I've lived long enough. Certainly, he's not trying to kill himself at this very moment, but he's actively wishing that death would come his way. You know, many individuals who suffer from depression often have thoughts of their own demise, sometimes by their own hands. And sadly, even more individuals will try to take it. But from that same verse, we also notice thoughts and feelings of hopelessness, worthlessness, and guilt. You know, again, we look at verse 4, and he says, I am no better than my fathers. This would refer to his ancestors, uh, quite possibly the prophets that came before him. And we think about this time in history, God's people really aren't as faithful as they should be. I think that's kind of an understatement. God's people are not faithful at all. And he's talking about the fact that even before him, there have been many prophets that God had sent to the people, and they had preached to the, uh, preached to the masses, and you know how much of an effect they had? Not a whole lot. And Elijah's saying, God, I, I've done what you've asked me to do. You know, your prophets died at the hands of their enemies because they couldn't sway the people's minds. I'm not better than they are. I've preached, I've taught, I've tried to sway them to further faithfulness to you, and yet I'm no better than they. I'm a failure God. I, I haven't been able to dissuade them any. We also notice some appetite and weight issues. Uh, verses 5 through 8. And as he lay and uh, slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is far too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, uh, the mount of God. I can't help but wonder, since the angel of the Lord is bringing food to Elijah, if Elijah had just refused to eat anything when he was out in the wilderness. If he just didn't want anything. Uh, he was given enough food to uh, keep him satisfied for 40 days of his journey. Now, one of the big reasons why I mention this here is when an individual is suffering from a deep depression, one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to suffer from excessive weight gain or excessive weight loss. But I believe the uh, food that is brought to Elijah here uh, seems to signify that there was some appetite issue that he was facing. But there's also feelings of hopelessness and pessimism here uh, from the prophet. Verse 10 we notice, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek thy life to take it away. Verse 14, And he said, I have been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, 
Even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He said the same thing there. But we see the utter hopelessness and pessimism on his part. He said, I've been very jealous. I think a better word there would be the word zealous. God, I've been very zealous. I've been teaching them. I've done the work, and I've been very excited about the work that you had given me, but God, it's hopeless. The whole lot of Israel is unfaithful. They don't really care about worshiping you. They murder anyone who preaches in your name. God, I'm the only one who's faithful to you at this moment. About this time, we also notice Elijah's main focus. It's one letter. It's the letter I. I. You might see even a little bit of self-centeredness here on the part of Elijah. But when we look to the example of Elijah, we see an individual who seems to be suffering from what we today would refer to as clinical depression. Now, this isn't, you know, these aren't the only uh, symptoms that an individual would suffer from. Uh, these are the ones that are mentioned for us here. And not everyone suffers from the same symptoms, but these have been given to us concerning Elijah just to give us an idea that even in those days, this was something that existed. But I want us to notice, not only does God show us the symptoms for an individual who suffered from depression, but God also showed us some treatment that could be done to help bring this one who was once up on the mountain, who's now down in the valley, bring him back to stability in his life. Let's look at God's treatment concerning this suffering one. First thing I want us to notice is that God provided for Elijah. Throughout this chapter, we're going to notice the fact that God was ever aware of the condition that Elijah was in. And when one thinks of treatment for depression or anxiety, uh, that individual should always remember that God wants to be an important part of our lives. Sometimes I think God is the one that, you know, we, we kind of put him far in the back burner when we suffer from these things. But have you ever noticed that when you go through the uh, Psalms, and you look at some of the instances where, again, there are some of the psalms that as you read through them, you would get the indication that there's an, a person writing this who's depressed, and yet who's the main focus for them even though they feel this way? God. God always wants to be an important part of our lives. We should never exclude him. And so God plays a vital role in helping stabilize Elijah. God is going to play an important role in our lives as well. But notice that God fed him. We've already looked at verses 5 through 8. When an individual is suffering from depression, it is important that that individual maintain a proper diet when these feelings of depression overtake them, and even before them. What we put in our bodies is going to have a great effect on us, and I'm amazed today by the foods that I see people eat. Um, sometimes people wonder if I, if I... I'll go ahead and mention this. I, some people kind of think I'm a snob when I say this, but I, I'm not trying to be. But I've I pretty much gotten rid of sodas in my life. You know why? Have you ever seen how much sugar is in a, just one can of soda? How many grams? You know how many miles you have to walk to burn off one can of soda? You've got to walk like five, ten miles, I think, to burn off one can, all the sugar. What about all the fast food restaurants? And I understand, you know, we live the biggest lives we've ever lived. And so fast food restaurants are making money hand over fist, but again, what are they feeding us? Mystery meat? Let's be honest, 
some of that stuff, you know, some of those burgers, they, they claim to be made of beef, but, you know, uh, the, the, and you think of the calories and the actual nutrition value. It, it said that fruits, vegetables, proteins, foods that are rich in vitamins and minerals are essential to one's diet when they suffer from this. They have to maintain a proper food balance. Well, God made sure that Elijah was properly fed uh, during this time and was well taken care of. We also notice the fact that God protected him. And we refer back to verses 5 through 8 uh, there as well. Uh, there's something that as I was studying through this that I noticed that really had never occurred to me before. The angel of the Lord came and provided food for Elijah, but there may have been another purpose. I was doing some study, uh, reading over some of the writings of Joseph Benson, and he mentions, but he is wakened out of his sleep and finds himself not only well provided for with bread and water, but which is more attended by an angel who guarded him while he slept and called him to his vittles once and again when they were ready for him. And so not only... Uh, was he uh, provided food, but also he was provided protection by God. But God also takes him out of the darkness. Notice verses 9 through 13 with me as we look through this. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous uh, for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar and slain thy prophets with the sword, and even I, only I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after a fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah, at this moment, he's in a cave. He's in a very darkened area. When a person is suffering from depression, guess where they want to be? In a dark room. They don't want to be in a sunlit area. Most people find a darkened bedroom hiding under the covers to be sanctuary for it. Would you believe that there is a specific type of depression that affects individuals during the winter and the summer seasons? Winter, when it's really cold, individuals don't like to go outside a whole lot because, again, it's cold. During the summer season, when it gets really hot, guess where individuals want to be? They want to be in the air conditioning, and they stay out of the sunlight. And so individuals will suffer from what is called seasonal affective disorder. That's sad for short. And... It affects many more people who are uh, in the northern northern hemisphere, like in Alaska and areas such as that, where they'll have darkness for three months or so. In fact, certain places, uh, certain areas, when they have darkness for three months or things of that nature, will actually set aside time during the day for the children of the towns and whatnot to actually get into tanning beds to get artificial sunlight so that it will help improve the mood. But it's proven that getting outside, getting out in the sunlight, staying away from the darkness, that will actually help improve an individual's mood. God brought him out of the sunlight. 
God was also calm and kind with him. I want us to notice verse 12 again. There's something very important I want to point out. Well, we're going to start at verse 11, rather. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but, after, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire a still small voice. What we may be seeing here in verses 11 and 12 is volcanic activity. Because with volcanic activity, there's normally great winds that occur, earthquakes, and of course fire. But through all of this, we notice that the Lord wasn't in the wind, he wasn't in the earthquake, he wasn't in the fire, but rather, how did he speak to Elijah? You know, there are some individuals today who want to give what's called tough love to those who suffer. And I understand you do, to an extent, have to be firm with an individual. You have to you know, you have to be a little bit firm about these things and you have to, you know, get them to understand there are some things that need to be done for your life to improve. But sometimes the idea of tough love is, oh, well, you just need to get over this. Oh, you're not really suffering. People get angry. And I don't understand why a lot of times we have a tendency to treat individuals who suffer from mental illnesses uh, the way we do. We don't tell individuals who are suffering from cancer, have you ever thought about, you know, just not having cancer? Isn't that what we tell people who suffer from depression? Well, have you thought about just not being sad? Well, have you thought about not having cancer? Uh, it just blows my mind. But notice the type of voice that God spoke, you know, God used when he spoke to Elijah, a still, small voice. The Hebrew words, still, it gives the idea of calmness. Stillness, no movement whatsoever, and small. The idea there is something that has been ground up into a very fine powder. When God spoke to Elijah, he didn't speak to him with a voice of thunder. He spoke to him with love. He spoke to him with concern. And he said, Elijah, what are you doing in the cave? Come out of the cave. Let's talk about what's going on. He, he, he was compassionate, and he showed kindness to him. God also listened to him. Notice verses 9, 10, 13, and 14. We, we've already really looked at them, but in, in verses 9 and 10, we notice that God asked him, you know, what are you doing out here, Elijah? Verse 10, what does he do? Elijah just pours out his heart to God. Uh, again, uh, we notice the fact that uh, verse 13, God asked him, what are you doing out here, Elijah? And again, Elijah pours out his heart before the Lord. And I notice that as he's going through this, you know, God asked Elijah appropriate questions and then allowed Elijah to answer them. Never once did God, you know, uh, interrupt Elijah and make the statement, Elijah, I know what your problem is. Here's what you need to do. He listened to him. He took everything into consideration, and then he took the time to help Elijah. And I think that's another problem that we have, and I think it's not, you know, not just within the church, but society as a whole. We've gotten out of the habit of listening to people and genuinely listening to the problems that they've got. Far too often an individual is trying to describe just how they're feeling and what are we doing in the back of our minds. We're, coming to, we're already formulating that response. Because we know what they need, we know what they want, and you know what we're missing when we do that? We're missing the clues that they're giving to us so that we can really give them the help they deserve. 
And I'll be honest with you, sometimes people just want someone to listen to them. They may not want the advice. They just want to get this off of their chest. God gave Elijah the opportunity to do that. But what more, notice the fact that God gives Elijah a purpose. Notice verses 15 through 17 with me. Verses 15 through 17. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint uh, Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel uh, Mahola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that they that escapeth the sword of uh, Hazael shall uh, Jehu slay, and him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. God gave him a purpose. And notice God didn't uh, didn't just say, well, Elijah, that, that's, that's great. Uh, we'll take care of you soon. God immediately gave him something to do. He gave him a purpose. Why would God do that? Well, one, if you've got a purpose, what's on your mind? That purpose. What's not so much on your mind? In Elijah's case, Jezebel is going to kill me. Now that thought may cross his mind again, but he'll be more focused on the task that God has given him more so than the fact that uh, that uh, Jezebel wants him dead. In fact, they say one of the more dangerous things that an individual can take part in is rumination. Rumination is intense thinking on a certain subject to the point that it controls your very thoughts. And females tend to suffer from rumination more than males. You know why? Because most males, when they begin to ruminate on certain things, they'll go and do something else. They'll go and work on a project. They'll go and mess with one of their hobbies. This isn't a knock on females, but it's proven that females will more likely just think and let that overwhelm them. We need to find a purpose to help keep our thoughts directed where they should be and not focus so much on these problems in our lives. And two, these tasks are relatively easy. And there would be a sense of accomplishment that would be felt from the completion of this. You know, when we're faced with depression, it's easy to let go when there's no purpose in life. What is the ultimate purpose of a Christian? Try to bring others to the Lord. Be good to stay focused on the purpose that we have before us. The last thing I want us to notice is the fact that God reminded Elijah that he was not alone. Notice verse 18 with me. In verse 18, Yet I have left 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. It's easy for us to sometimes think that we're alone. Two instances, Elijah said, God, I, only I'm faithful to you. None of, no one else is faithful to you. But God said, Elijah, you're not the only individual that's faithful to me. I've got 7,000 individuals who haven't worshipped Baal. They're still faithful to me. And you should be strengthened in knowing that, yes, there are many Israelites who are unfaithful, but you're not alone. It's easy when a person suffers from a mental illness to think, I'm alone in all of this. I'm suffering alone. I'm going to face this alone. I may even die alone. You know what? It is estimated that 350 million people worldwide suffer from depression. And the number is growing. If you suffer from this, you're not alone. There are many other individuals who face those things and they may be looking for someone just like you to help them out 
in their time of need. But I want us to notice something about most of the things that we've mentioned here. We've noticed, again, you know, God provided for Elijah. God has to be a major part of our lives. God fed him. It's up to us to put the right foods in our bodies. God protected him. God does offer us strength today and protection. He's offered us a lot of strength in the church which he's given, you know, the church which was bought by the blood of his son, and the fact that we can find strength uh, and even to an extent some protection when we face these issues, and the fact that there's a loving body of Christians who care for us and want to help us in those times of need. God took him out of darkness. We have to step out of the darkness and into the sunlight. Uh, God was calm and kind with him. God listened to him. God gave him a purpose. God reminded Elijah that he's not alone. A lot of the things that have mentioned here are items that we are capable of doing to help ourselves. And the other thing that I want to bring up is when you look to a lot of psychology reports and things of that nature, you know what are some of the things that they will teach people who suffer from depression that they need to do? They need to feed themselves properly. They need to step out of the darkness. They need to remember that they're not alone. They need to hang on to those who will give them strength. And yet, all of that is mentioned for us here within God's Word. And that's why I said all of this study of mental health and human development, things of that nature, whereas a lot of these individuals in some of their writings may have hoped to dissuade individuals from Christianity, they just helped me grow stronger in my faith. Because God has provided a lot of these things for us in his Bible. And they're there for us if we just look for them. God is willing to provide the things that we need in this life that's willing to help us. And one of the things that he provided for us was his son, who willingly died for us on the cross so that we might have the remission of sins. And it may be the case that there's someone here this evening who is here and is not a Christian. Well, we've heard God's word. We need to believe on that word, repent of our sins, confess Jesus Christ, the Son of God, be baptized for the remission of sins, and live a life of faithfulness until death. Or maybe there's someone here this evening who has done those things, and yet they have not been living as faithfully as they should. Repent of those sins and ask God for forgiveness, knowing he's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Or maybe there's someone here this evening who may have been suffering. They may have been suffering in silence. We don't want you to suffer in silence. We want to help. Be, we, we want to be part of that, that strength uh, that helps hold you up and encourages you as you deal with these issues in your life. But we can only pray for you. We can only pray with you. We can only help you and encourage you if you let us know what need you've got. If there's someone here this evening who would like to respond to the gospel of Christ, please make your need known now as together we stand and as we sing. There's a great day coming, a great day coming, there's a great day coming by and by, when the thing is a sinner shall be parted right and left, are you ready for that day to